HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. We're diving right back into the theme we've been exploring on and off these past few sessions, and that is changing the way food is distributed um, from a global food system where we ship across the world fresh fruit, perishable, small berries, um, the luxury goods um, that our ancestors would only dream about is now every day, all the time, this supermarket fantasy of magical watermelons of anonymity. And here to talk about that transition to a more realistic way of doing business is Jen Lundberg, who has been an activist, um, an oil systems analyst, uh, a thinker, a singer, an, a movement maker for a long time. And I'm really thankful to reconnect with him. Welcome to the show, Jen. Well, thank you, Severin. It's a pleasure. We uh, met each other out in Berkeley when you were active with the depaving movement, and now here we are at the crossroads again talking about sale freight. Yes, on, on different continents, but uh, we are of one mind. So let's just, let's just dive right into the, norm, the normative experience that we have now in this moment of history um, in terms of energy and, and where that's likely to go um, what kind of expectations are built into the way we shop? Well, if we're talking about the consumer economy and the distribution of food uh, on average of 1,500 miles uh, from farm to plate uh, in the U.S., that involves a lot of petroleum. And people have lost touch with nature, with the land, with the skills, uh, they're not uh, preserving uh, food in jars in their basements anymore. Um, we have a crisis of food that is uh, masked by the illusion of consumer convenience and the subsidization of petroleum. So nowadays when people buy anything anywhere in the world, uh, there is a large component of petroleum cost or energy cost uh, built in that you don't see. 
So there's two kinds of subsidies for the oil industry. There's the direct, uh, you know, tax breaks and all kinds of things like that. And then there's indirect uh, or even secret subsidies. So these total uh, something to make the price of oil in reality not $100 a barrel that, that we see in the news, but three or four times that perhaps. And now for how this affects us food-wise, uh, we're paying for things that we are, you know, purchasing at uh, high cost, long distance, uh, we're getting uh, subsidized food as well uh, in certain kinds of food, but not in uh, foods that are most nourishing and uh, good for the soil. So uh, this whole situation uh, has been um, looked at and uh, addressed by people like Greenhorns, uh, uh, folks who are uh, doing farmers markets. We had pedal power produce going uh, uh, through the 90s and early 2000s uh, in Humboldt County. And lately, uh, I think uh, we have a common interest in the uh, sail transport connection for uh, moving goods without that carbon footprint and without that petroleum subsidy. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a state of the state of sail transport um, as it stands now in Europe and the recent voyage that you guys made with uh, fair trade uh, cocoa beans and rum and um, a little bit of the context globally, how you guys are fitting into the, you in Europe with your project fit into the larger sail transport network of which you are the director. Well, the, the uh, did you say investor? No, director. Oh, director, I'm sorry. It's a poor connection. Uh, yes, the sail transport movement is a conscious effort to use uh, clean wind power over the waves, low-tech, for moving goods and people. And uh, it never stopped, uh, but uh, the recent revival is... Uh, conscious of peak oil, climate change, uh, the health of uh, sea creatures who don't need all that engine noise. So this movement has started up in, well, in the Puget Sound in 2008 and then in 2009, uh, Fair Transport, which has the ship Tres Hombres, a 32-meter schooner brig, uh, began sailing in the North Sea area. And starting in 2010, uh, that ship sailed to the Caribbean and brought back to Holland uh, rum. And uh, it's made its fifth voyage now. It is back in Holland and is getting ready for some coastal and regional runs. But in addition to rum, it brought back cacao beans, chocolate bars, and coffee, and a little tea from the Azores that they managed to cram on board. So we have uh, this uh, exciting development, and anyone who hasn't uh, sailed on a tall ship is really missing something. Uh, there is a, a serious movement in northern Europe 
to get a serious sale transport going on an industrial scale. And this is called the Ecoliner. It's a 150-meter uh, cargo hybrid sail design uh, that has enjoyed a 3.5 million euro grant to uh, finish design, uh, research, uh, business, uh, trade, route, trade routes, and make sure that uh, regulatory mechanisms are in place and as fair as possible. And I think there needs to be a level playing field on, on the subsidies. So this uh, kind of ship um, will be able to move not the largest quantities that we see, uh, but uh, some essential commodities. We don't need a billion plastic basketballs from Chinese rushed over on, on uh, the most polluting ships. Uh, if I may, let me point out that the 16 top conventional cargo ships in the world, 16, that's one six, are emitting as much sulfur and other pollutions as all the world's cars. So that disaster uh, is hidden. You don't see it when you buy your plastic basketball or, or when you buy some food or whatever. Uh, but uh, that's going on, and there are 70,000 of these kinds of ships. So clearly, uh, getting a handle on, on this uh, uh, form of oil crisis, this public health crisis, uh, would be very wise. And fortunately, um, sailing ships can go as fast or even faster than the average speed of the cargo ships today, because the cargo ships slowed down to 15 knots. They wanted to save money on petroleum and also to keep the boats uh, moving along and not idling in port. So the time is now for sail transport. Uh, I'm working on these things in Europe, and we have a project in California, but there's just not that much happening in the U.S. compared to northern Europe. But I'm delighted that the Vermont Sail Freight Project and the, and the upcoming Maine Sail Freight Project are getting going. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. So let's talk about some of the challenges of straddling the economy of tomorrow um, while uh, accommodating the economy of today. And what are some ways that we can offset the true costs that we have to bear here in the present um, in, a, in a system that's really much more adapted to a post-peak uh, fuel situation. How are you guys well, that, that? It seems that, like that, you're, that, running, you're doing rum running and you're doing chocolate because those are items that have a very high profit margin. So that's a way to essentially subsidize the fact Well, that Well, we, we uh, are looking at... Uh, the present uh, consumer economy with subsidized petroleum. We're trying to open people's eyes to the possibilities. And uh, as I said, the Ecoliner uh, will be an industrial scale uh, uh, carrier, either containers or, or bulk. Uh, but we really have to look at uh, the future uh, changes in the economy, in energy, for our food security. So uh, let, let us imagine that uh, there has been a big oil crisis 
and uh, the Persian Gulf uh, is uh, closed off to uh, oil exports. This is going to immediately affect the world oil economy, and we're not going to have the uh, uh, usual prices. We're going to have skyrocketing prices. We're going to have panic buying, and there's going to be hoarding. And if the trucks don't uh, pull into Safeway and Walmart and so forth, then what are people going to do? Well, um, one solution, uh, a long-term uh, answer to this uh, uh, would be to adjust ourselves to transition towns. Uh, the transition movement uh, looks at what a local ecosystem can provide, how they're going to be stronger community, and uh, soften the shocks of energy and climate change uh, for uh, uh, a local community. Well, uh, since we're really not in control of very much at all, uh, the, the, the oil juggernaut keeps going, uh, global warming uh, is out of control, uh, government policy is so influenced by uh, uh, big business interests that we're going to have to anticipate changes hitting us without the preparation that, that we'd like to see. So when it comes to food security and sale transport, let's picture a bioregion uh, producing uh, plenty of grain uh, but uh, can't produce uh, uh, olives or, or uh, fruit, for example. Uh, so another bioregion can uh, trade uh, those things so that uh, surpluses can be exchanged. This means there's greater uh, nutritional value for the populations uh, getting more variety in their diet. So this is uh, an essential feature of trade that, that was always happening in, in past millennia, but will have to happen again, especially since we have degraded ecosystems and people are not able to produce uh, or, or forage uh, for uh, everything they need as they were able to do in the past. Now there's a much higher population almost everywhere, and so people have to use the, the most uh, practical uh, low-tech means of producing local food and uh, exchanging uh, food and other goods with other communities. So that's what sail transport can do. It doesn't need petroleum to do it. It doesn't need big corporations, and it doesn't need subsidies, except right now we're trying to dramatize the advantages of sail power and, and get people ready for the future. This is what we're doing in Europe, not only with uh, a fair transport. I really appreciate uh, it, and um, I wonder, I wonder how do how do people react to this? I mean, you're in the Mediterranean region, which has a long, long history of sail, of sail transport, of food being shipped across from northern Africa to support the Roman Empire, sure. from yeah. you know a, a, a fishery that has really declined. Um, a lot of coastal tourism and coastal buildup, you know, a, a lot of uh, pollution um, from the city. Yeah. What are what are the kind of suite of issues, or or how do you? Um, I, I'm imagining there's a kind of a nice basin of relation when you start dealing with with 
trade on a kind of a region on this regional basis that you get a bunch of adjacent stakeholder groups starting to talk to each other. Um, tell me about that discourse. Yes. Um, well, I think you might be talking about SailMed, and people can learn about that at SailMed.org. This is a new consortium uh, along the lines of both Fair Transport of Holland and the SAIL Consortium, which is of seven North Sea nations involving 17 partners to get the Ecoliner going. So it seemed to me that uh, these things ought to happen in the Mediterranean. Uh, when I visited last summer, I found that there was no conscious sail transport going on in, in the entire Mediterranean. So you have a lot of sailboats that are just toys. It's recreational, uh, and uh, freight and passenger services all uh, petroleum-oriented motors. And so what we're finding is people are, are ready to acknowledge uh, the, the crisis of oil and of global warming, and the consumer economies have been failing, especially in southern Europe. Greece, for example, has had such uh, terrible problems with debt and austerity uh, and uh, wasting uh, resources and, and uh, disposable income on petroleum for, for cars and, and motorbikes. And, uh, they're importing food unnecessarily. But we're finding people receptive to the idea of sustainability and enhancing local capabilities. You see, in Greece, there's still a lot of local production of uh, fruit, olive oil, uh, wine, and cheese, and they take pride in it. Now, Athens is a, is a huge overpopulated city where uh, most people aren't in touch with the land and, and can't grow any food. But even there, most of them have relatives out in the countryside or in the small towns and villages where there's a strong connection to uh, making one's own olive oil, food, uh, wine, etc. So what we're running into is uh, the need to uh, change the, uh, the reliance on the consumer economy and debt and petroleum to try to keep up the, the, the salad days of, of growth and, and consumer splendor, which really aren't coming back because uh, with uh, the loss of cheap oil, uh, you you really don't have anything else to expand an economy anymore. So what we're what we're looking at here is uh, jobs and uh, entrepreneurial opportunities for not just the sale transport but of the land connections. And this is where farms have to think of how they're going to get the produce to the sailboat docks and uh, and. The Puget Sound and elsewhere, uh, what has been used is um, pedal power. And you can use an electric uh, trike as well. That's been used. Now, what we did here in Greece, uh, when we delivered uh, from uh, the Peloponnese uh, uh, four large containers of olive oil, uh, it was picked up at the other end with a horse carriage. And so uh, a horse carriage is definitely 
uh, non-petroleum. It's renewable energy, and it's a beautiful thing to see. Well, I really appreciate um, I really appreciate your perspective on this, and um, and all that you've been doing for so long. Maybe you could reflect just a little bit for those who are just getting into um, the weird and wacky world of kind of edge edge projects, and and you know you started doing things with pedal power and depaving way before they became widespread or um, kind of commonly talked about issues. Could you reflect a little for the young farmers who are our predominant listener group, what it's like to be ahead of the crowd and, and how to expect that to go? What, what, how to walk into that, how to expect, how to be prepared for what that will be like, how to have the courage well, for it? Um, this is my concern, future generations. Uh, I'm certainly not much of an expert farmer, but it was fun to operate the pedal power produce farm in Humboldt County and, and uh, hook up some carts of, of various uh, <laughs> uh, hokey and, and uh, strange uh, construction to bring uh, the organic produce uh, nine miles on a windy uh, country road to the farmer's market in Arcata. That went for seven years uh, every Saturday morning. And this kind of project finds uh, support out there. For example, uh, the Farmer's Market Organization uh, had a waiting list and seniority, but we were able to get right up uh, to the plaza and, and put up our stand because we didn't take up any space with a truck. We just had some bikes and bike carts, which is no big deal for taking up space. And we had customers uh, coming by repeatedly because they liked uh, what we were doing. Uh, it shouldn't be necessary for people to buy food that has gone great distance with trucks on asphalt. Uh, we, we don't have to destroy the planet to, to eat or, or to trade. Uh, but in general, to answer your question, um, it's, it seemed to me, having been uh, an oil analyst up until um, 1988, it seemed to me that uh, the question was, why isn't the U.S. conserving energy, and how might it conserve energy? So that led to all kinds of ideas and, and questions and projects. And the first one was the Alliance for a Paving Moratorium, which fought new road construction and wider construction, because it eats up farmland. Why destroy the, the, the best farmland with, uh, with roads, highways, uh, shopping malls, and so forth? So that led to uh, a magazine to sort of lead the way, and that was ultimately called the Auto Free Times. And it turned out to be sort of a bike zine because uh, uh, the biking community needed a magazine like that, and we needed to make the connection between more roads uh, and uh, uh, what kind of a transportation system and what kind of resources there were for for different kinds of transport. So uh, it, it was quite a learning experience for me. I, I was really lucky. 
And so uh, we tried everything to raise the issue about car dependence, uh, about stopping roads to protect not just the farmland but the forests. And so some of us would get uh, gladly arrested for protecting the ancient redwoods. And so one thinks of whatever strategies there may be, uh, critical mass bike rides to uh, uh, raise awareness, uh, you know, bike stickers, um, uh, press conferences, of course, uh, more projects, uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, web and email came along uh, eventually. And uh, around that time, in 2001, uh, we decided that we'd done as much as we could to fight road construction and to get people out of their cars. So uh, the name of the organization became Culture Change. And that endeavor to go deeper than uh, policy problems uh, having to do with transportation and energy. So if, if a society is paving over the best farmland and family members are stabbing each other in the back to steal each other's inheritances, this suggests that greed uh, is out of control and that society's values uh, are certainly not about uh, looking after future generations. So that's what culture change uh, meant to me. And we've been exploring in hundreds of essays and reports at culturechange.org how we can uh, best understand or have a radical critique of society, of Western civilization, and to find out alternative ways of living and changing lifestyle that will uh, be more rewarding, save us money, be more convivial, and provide more security in the long run. Uh, it is not a huge audience. <laughs> the environmental movement is basically dominated by the techno-fix and uh, false promises of a clean energy economy so that we can keep consuming roughly in the same way. But uh, for those who appreciate nature and uh, uh, beautiful natural food coming out of the ground, uh, exchanging it without uh, polluting petroleum. Uh, there, there are beautiful days ahead when, when this will return to be the dominant paradigm. So you're saying if it's worth doing, it takes at least 10 years, and if you're ahead of the game, people won't understand what you're talking about, so don't take offense. Right, and uh, although it is very worthwhile to reach out to anyone, have a conversation with anyone uh, about uh, things you may hold dear, about uh, growing your own food, about the need for local uh, production, local products, and a distribution system that's sustainable, uh, you may find a lot of resistance and, and ignorance. You may even find yourself derided. So uh, the best strategy is to find kindred spirits who can uh, combine with you to do something beautiful. Well, there you go, folks. Find the kindred spirits, stick to it, and look far in the future and squint, and you might see places of opportunity and strategic intervention that you can not exploit but, but use as a foothold and um, be there first and uh, and hang in. 
Well, Jen, I want to make sure to give you space to announce any upcoming uh, events, crowdfunding campaigns, important resources to, to look towards for information on sale transport. You well, thank you. Um, there? Uh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, promote a couple of new uh, reports that are coming out. One is on uh, the, the new... Uh, thrust to get uh, the Ecoliner built uh, involving, uh, you know, all the stakeholders, uh, whether it's big business, uh, freight owners. And so that that is coming out very shortly. Uh, and then the, the debut of SailMed on SailMed.org uh, with um, our, our, our structure, our partners, uh, our uh, the beginning of the uh, olive oil shipment, and how this fits into uh, world trade, because uh, cans of feta pre preserved in brine can get to New York uh, without refrigeration. And when you open a can, you have to refrigerate it. But uh, uh, we know you love olive oil and feta and olives and, and, and good Greek wine. Uh, that, that needs to be uh, brought over by sailing ships uh, for two reasons. Uh, as, as I said, there's a, there's a dire need to have uh, that kind of security. But also there's a, there's a, a niche market uh, now that has been enjoyed, uh, as we know, with um, organic and fair trade. But sail transport is, is, uh, is the, the real fair transport, the clean transport that we have to get going. So uh, if people want to look at sailtransportnetwork.org and sail med.org, uh, that will be enough, and, and we'll be happy to help anyone starting a sail transport project, and uh, we can share information about uh, uh, pedal power produce and, and horse transport as well. And I, I really want to say, Severin, that uh, your activities for uh, food justice and food security and uh, the, the joy of producing good, clean, local food. That is very inspiring uh, to me and, and to everyone you come in contact with. Feels good to be part of the good team. I sure have to agree with you there. Um, I want to make a couple tiny announcements that are um, upcoming events for Greenhorns. One is the NOFA Summer Conference, which is a convening in the Northeast um, that is you know, pretty awesome for most people to attend who are nearby. We're doing a panel on land access with the Conservation Law Foundation. I want to give a call out for the main hoedown on July 29th in top in the Topsham Grange. I want to give a call out for the Beehive Collective Summer Black Ball, Black Fly Ball in the Machias Valley Grange Hall. Um, and let's see, there was one other one I wanted to. Oh well, we'll announce the next the next ones for the next week because I forgot. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on, and I hope you're all having enough sunblock on your noses. I get scolded every time I go to the doctor when they when they learn about the work that I'm doing with the young farmers. They always say, "Tell your young farmers, please, 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 put on the sunscreen." Okay, everyone. Thank you, Jan, and thank you to the listeners. Thank you, Severin. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>